Welcome to the Fit for Success podcast. Brian Semling is an experienced entrepreneur with over 25 years in business. He is the founder and CEO of Blitz Innovation. He has built several brands such as Brian's Toys, a collectible toy business, to several Amazon FBA brands like Strictly Bricks and Clever Creations. His latest adventure is Rovox, a modern athleisure footwear brand which can be found at rovoxfootwear.com. On the podcast, Brian will talk with other entrepreneurs and social media influencers about their entrepreneurial journey, from what it takes to start and run a business to how they may continue to grow their brands and where they see themselves and their businesses in the future. And now, here's your host, Brian Semley. Welcome to the Fit for Success podcast. I'm Brian Semley. Today, our guest is Dr. Elizabeth Lombardo. Welcome, Elizabeth. Well, thanks for having me. You bet. Well, uh, I'd love to start off by taking a couple minutes to, um, by you having taken a couple minutes to introduce yourself and uh, your practice, your business, and just kind of letting us know where you're at and uh, how you've gotten here. Great. Well, thank you. Yes. So I am a clinical psychologist by training. Um, I often share that my first week in school of psychology, I remember madly taking notes and, and thinking, why do I have to get a PhD to learn this stuff? Like we all would benefit from understanding basics of how our mind works and how to help it work for instead of against us, because most of us have this working against us a lot of the time. And it really became my life mission to help people. I say before they need the proverbial shrink couch to really get this information out. And I like to share it um, kind of bite-sized, digestible. How can I use what the research and psychology shows us in terms of peak performance? in terms of motivation, in terms of being and living in a happy and fulfilled life, how we can take the research and apply it into very busy lives in a way that really transforms them. Cool. And you started as a uh, physical therapist, is that right? And then kind of advanced or progressed to, uh, to this. And so you're, you've kind of spent a good portion of your life focusing on kind of helping people and to um, maybe helping them to reach their potential physically and obviously mentally uh, and so forth. So uh, that's fantastic. It it seems to me that you've also got a a focus on entrepreneurs and business and, um, and so forth kind of an, and you're more than just a psychiatrist yourself as an author and, um, you know, kind of business person. I'm an entrepreneur myself. Yes. It was, I remember, um, I remember getting out of psychology school and I went into, I did a postdoctoral training and um, academia, which is where I always thought I'd be doing research and working with clients. And I remember doing my postdoc, I made $18,000 for the year and I worked about 17 hours a day. And wow. so I thought, this might not be the greatest work-life balance. And so I went and started a private practice, which is an entrepreneur, having had no, I didn't even have a course. I didn't even have a single class on starting a practice or being an entrepreneur. So um, I had a lot of trial and error. Uh, I say I, I've kissed a lot of frogs in terms of finding people to help me, whether it's building a website or, or um, an assistant or, or building a team. Um, but I'm very glad that that I did. And because of my experience of going 
going through that. And now where I am right now, I do love working with entrepreneurs to really help them get to the level that they want to be, to be sharing their message, whether they're thought leaders or to be sharing their product, if they have actual products. And just realizing that what goes on up here impacts everything that goes on out here. And there's an entrepreneurial mindset. And part of it is really helpful, right? We get so focused and excited about wanting to to make a difference in this world. Um, Sometimes though, our mind is exactly what prevents us from being as successful as we want. So that's where I jump in to really help entrepreneurs optimize their mindset so that they can really optimize their, their business and profit. Tell us a little bit more about that. So what what might be a couple of the key points uh, or common suggestions, feedback that you might give entrepreneurs that might be, you know, common stumbling blocks? Yeah. So I see a couple um, ways of thinking. I won't say personalities. One is perfectionistic. And when I say perfectionism or perfectionistic, I don't mean people who have a neat juncture where every pen is aligned and every paperclip is perfectly stacked, right? I'm talking about an all or nothing mentality, something perfect or it's a failure, something's right or everything else is wrong. I can do it perfectly or why bother? Um, New Year's resolutions are a great example of this, right? January 1st comes and people might say, I'm giving up all sugar, all booze and going to the gym every day. And then January 2nd happens and oh, I didn't get to the gym. I had one cookie and ruined my diet. I might as well have the whole plate. Where I see this in entrepreneurs is very much um, everything has to be perfect before I share it. I'm not going to put my website up until it's perfect. I'm not even going to talk about my business until I have all of the logos and the marketing materials and the perfect business cards. And so that notion um, of that all or nothing, perfect or forget it perfect or failure really interferes with a lot of entrepreneurs. Part of perfectionism also is that fear of failure because a perfectionist thinks it's perfect or it's a failure. But then if it's a failure, the business, the presentation, whatever it is, they take it one step further. And if it's a failure, then I'm a failure. And that, that, that fear of not just failing, but being a failure can really hold a lot of entrepreneurs back. Another place where I see it with entrepreneurs is what I would call imposter syndrome. That notion of I'm in way over my head and people are going to figure it out. I see this a lot with people who, for example, if I'm working with a coach who thinks, oh, I have to get a PhD in psychology in order to open a practice. I have a PhD in psychology and that's lovely and and I'm not discouraging anyone from it, but you don't have to have a high degree in order to be successful in uh, being an entrepreneur. So just helping people kind of change that mindset. Um, I was working, for example, with a a neuropathic doctor. So she went to school for postgraduate, what is that, five, seven years? She wasn't a medical doctor. And so she had this, I'm not good enough. People aren't going to listen to me. People aren't going to buy for me. Kind of inner critic echoing throughout her mind. Once we were able to change that, her business is thriving. Interesting. So imposter syndrome and uh, perfectionism being two of the common uh, stumbling blocks. Are those, for any particular reason, more common in entrepreneurs than other people? Or are those things that all people um, have somewhat uh, that are common in the broader population. Yeah, they're pretty common in the broader population. It just, it presents differently. So someone who's more in the corporate world, um, imposter syndrome, we tend to see the higher up you go on the ladder. Um, Perfectionism, that all or nothing, kind of that notion of, giving a presentation and you make one mistake, right? Whether it's on stage or a sales presentation or even just an important conversation, making one mistake and later 
replaying that mistake over and over and over in their heads. Um, that's kind of a perfectionistic yeah. point of view. Is that unique to entrepreneurs? Absolutely not. But when it comes to being an entrepreneur, that can then hinder them or prevent them from going out and making a pitch the next time. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that, you know, as somebody who uh, helps entrepreneurs that you had to become one yourself uh, to, in your own practice and really without really any training, it sounds like, which is probably typical for lots of entrepreneurs anyways, but maybe um, a little bit unfortunate that schooling doesn't include, you know, those, all those years of schooling don't include a few classes of the ABCs of here's how you start a practice or, you know, start a, a business or what have you. Yeah. What were, what were some of the, the biggest challenges that you uh, ran into either getting started or, or perhaps afterwards? Well, so I used to live in Dallas, Texas, and I had two private practices there. And I, I do more coaching now, but I was doing therapy then. And I closed my private practices because my family was moving to Pennsylvania. And I remember thinking, you know, people come to see their, their shrink for fear of abandonment issues. And here I am, I feel like I'm abandoning them. And I felt, I felt really badly. It was stressful for me. It was stressful for them. And I decided, ah, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book because then I could be anywhere and I could be helping people, you know, th throughout the country and world. So as I was writing this book, I learned a little statistic, which is the average book sells less than 250 copies its first year. And I thought it, it took me over a year to write. Um, I was a little perfectionistic, by the way. And I thought, wow, I'm going to have my mom and my husband at least buy a couple dozen copies. Like, I got to I have to build a platform. I have to get this message out there. Um, the issue was I was scared to death to speak in front of a group or to ever be on camera. And this was uh, way before the um, social media and stuff like that. So I, I realized what I needed to do was to get out of my own way, right? I kind of had to treat myself, get out of my own way, and then learn the skills of speaking and learn the skills of media. Um, and now I am a keynote speaker. I speak around the world, although, of course, I haven't been traveling. I've been doing a lot of keynotes right here right here with this background. Um, but, you know, I've had the pleasure of, of speaking on stages in front of thousands and thousands of people. And in terms of media, um, you know, I've been on, I don't know, today's show over 20 times now, Good Morning America, um, a lot of the shows. So realizing, and I think this is really true for a lot of coaches and certainly self-help authors, when we have a struggle and once we overcome it, we want to really share that with other people because we realize it's doable. And I think that's been one of my passions is I, I not only do I know that I can help them, but I've been there and I've been through the process and I know that this process works. Yeah. Um, so you have recently released a, uh, a new book, uh, called Get Out of the Red Zone. I believe it was last September 2021. If you want to just kind of tell us about um, that as I think your latest work. That is my latest book indeed, my latest baby, as I say. So get out of the red zone, transform your stress to optimize true success. And when we talk about the red zone, I'm not talking about the football red zone, but rather the psychological red zone. The psychological red zone is when we're at high levels of stress. So if you think of stress as, as being on a continuum or scale from zero, not at all, to 10 out of 10, the most stressed out you've ever been. The red zone happens when we're at a seven out of 10 or higher. So seven and eight and nine or 10, that's when we're in the red zone. And in the red zone, we tend to think differently 
and we tend to act differently. So I'll give a quick pop quiz to see if you can relate to any of these. Um, have you ever said or done something that you later regretted? I think everybody has, including me. <laughs> and what was that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, have you ever procrastinated or avoided an important project? Sure. Probably, right. Have you ever felt so overwhelmed that you maybe couldn't focus or you couldn't sleep? Probably. Sure. If you answer yes to any of these, then you were in that psychological red zone. So it really impacts um, how we think, how we feel, and what we do. And just to understand that a little bit, so that, that is the... That's how we are. We know we're in the red zone by kind of having that type of, um, you know, by finding ourselves in, in those places. Um, is it something that what causes us to be there and how do we get out of it? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of times people think what causes us to be there are external events. Right. Maybe it's um, <laughs> the pandemic or maybe it's someone like a mother-in-law that we think, oh, they put me in the red zone. But it's actually not external experiences. It's it's what we say to ourselves about those external experiences. And the, and the best way I can explain this is when I was doing my postdoctoral training. I worked at a major trauma center. And one day I got a consult for a gentleman who was an electrician and we'll call him Roger. And Roger was working on a wire that was supposed to be inactive. Unfortunately for Roger is quite active such that when he touched the wire, a volt of current went through his body and burned him so severely that the doctors gave his wife the following options. We can let him die or we can surgically amputate his arms to try to save his life. So the decision was to surgically amputate his arms. And I received the consult to go in as a psychologist to help him out. Because in my mind, obviously, he's feeling depressed and hopeless and helpless. He has no arms. We like talk about red zone. Of course, he's in the red zone. Right. And I remember knocking on his door and going in. And there was Roger with a big smile on his face. And I thought, what? what's going on? And what he told me was he was so grateful that his life had been saved. He was so grateful he was still here on this earth and he was absolutely convinced he was saved for a reason, right? He didn't know what it was, but he was so excited and so grateful to figure out what this next stage of his life was going to be. <laughs> mm. He's very grateful and thankful rather than upset and frustrated, right? Exactly. So that event, which I fullheartedly will say would probably put me in the red zone, didn't put him in the red zone at all. And I share that because I think it's really important that regardless of what's going on in our lives we can, it's not that there aren't traumas in our lives. It's not that there aren't difficulties in our lives, but we can better cope when we address what we're saying to ourselves. So if somebody finds themselves in the red zone, which is probably pretty common, at least from time to time, pretty common with most people. Yeah. And there's an awareness, you're bringing awareness to this. What can we do to, what are some steps we can take to get out of the red zone so yeah. that we can be happier, healthier, make better decisions, ultimately be more successful, hopefully. Rovox, where fashion meets fitness. Exactly. Because in the red zone, we aren't really thinking rationally, right? In the green zone, that's when we're using that frontal lobe, that beautiful structure that differentiates us from other animals. It allows us to engage in executive functioning problem solving, perspective taking. That's, that's what we really need in order to be successful. In the red zone, we're not using that frontal lobe as much. Our limbic system, that fight or flight, 
hijacks us. So when we're in the red zone, we're not thinking rationally. So the first thing to do when you notice you're in the red zone is to get out of the red zone. Once you get out of the red zone, and I'm going to tell you how to get out in a sec, but once you get out of the red zone, that's when you can start to problem solve. That's when you can start to see different perspectives. That's when you can start to figure out how to make things, the situation better. But if you're in the red zone, I say use the HELM principle, H-E-L-M. It's an acronym I came up with. So grab stress by the HELM. When you notice those emotions you don't want, when you notice sometimes the red zone is physical sensations, sometimes it's behaviors, grab stress by the HELM. H stands for HALT. HALT all movement in this region of your body. And by that, I mean your mouth. <laughs> in the red zone, don't let anything out of your mouth because that's when we say things we later regret, right? And don't put anything in your mouth because that's when we tend to consume things we later regret. E of the HELM principle stands for exercise. Move your body. I'm not talking 90 minutes of yoga. That would be lovely. I'm talking a couple of minutes of going for a brisk walk, walking up a flight of stairs, push-ups, sit-ups, squats, jumping on the bed. That releases biochemicals in our brain so that we get out of the red zone. L stands for laughter. And we've heard that laughter is the best medicine. Yeah. I had um, a red zone event the other day. My teenager was being a little teenagery, And um, in our household, this concept of red zone is just a, a normal conversation. And so I let her know, you know what? I'm feeling myself get in the red zone. I don't want to say something, you know, I want to be the best mom I can be. I'm not in that state right now. I came into my office right here. I hopped on YouTube, watched a couple SNL skits. I laughed. I got out of the red zone. Then I could be a better mother to her. So that's L. And then M is music. Right? We've all heard songs that we haven't heard in years, maybe even decades, right? That bring us back to that time. Music is very powerful impact on our emotions. And so I recommend to all my coaching clients, they actually have a get out of the red zone playlist of songs that bring them back to a happier times. They like the lyrics. They like the beat. They can dance around. And that way that can help you get out of the red zone. So once you've done these things, now your mind is in a, I guess, let's say a happier, healthier place to then be able to problem solve, to be able to, you know, talk and have words that aren't going to be hurtful or damaging or what have you. That and to see, different, to see different perspectives because, it, you know, in the red zone, we think differently. So in the red zone, if as an entrepreneur, you're, you're looking for funding and you get a big old no in the red zone, you might think, oh my gosh, I'm a loser. My business is never going to be successful. That same event happening in the green zone might cause you to think, okay, I was saying it's not failure, it's data. Let me use, let me get data from this. Let me understand what were the ingredients that went into that no so I can address them for the next potential investor to whom I'm going to pitch. Right. You know, it really helps. It helps us problem solve and see things in a different perspective when we get out of that red zone. Yeah, you know, it makes sense. I mean, I think uh, an easy takeaway is just being aware that there is a red zone, that it physically, it's kind of physical and mental. And if we're there, we kind of know some of the signs or symptoms of what that looks like to then go through the, the helm exercise and just take a few minutes. Maybe it's an hour, maybe it's a few hours, but a little bit of time to proactively try to de-stress, get out of that red zone so we can then deal with whatever that issue is more appropriately uh, and probably in a healthy way and in a way that's going to lead to, you know, success versus, you know, something that's just negative, basically. 
Exactly. Yeah. We want to be reactive when we notice ourselves creeping up, but that word that you just use is so important proactively. So one of the things I see a lot of entrepreneurs is working, maybe not 24 seven, but working a whole lot thinking I have to keep, you know, working and putting my time, energy and effort into the business in order for it to grow. I mentioned before, I I have a, a, a practice for sports psychology. And one of the things I remind all of my elite athletes is it's important to train hard and it's important to rest hard. Cause if you don't have one of those components, you're either going to get injured or you're not going to be very good. Entrepreneurs need to remember that too, right? It's great to to focus and work. And it's also really important to take time off. And I don't mean, you know, five-week vacation, although that's lovely too. I mean, just periodically during the day, what are you doing to address your stress? Are you getting the sleep? Are you meditating? Are you exercising? Are you spending time with loved ones? They're all being mindful. They're all these different practices that we can incorporate. Even I often tell my coaching clients using a three-by-five, three times a day for just five minutes, doing something healthy and helpful to to bring that stress down. Because what that will do is then when you're working, your, your focus, your concentration, your creativity, your problem solving is so much stronger and you get so much more done in a lot less time. Yeah, no, that's good advice. Um, So what we've just talked about for a few minutes is reacting to an awareness of and reacting to the red zone. Are there things we can do to be conscious while we're in the green zone to just stay there, you know, to, I mean, I would think things like exercise and some of these same things that get us out can help us stay there. But is there another side to this coin basically to kind of maximize time spent in the green zone so that we don't end up in the red zone? Yeah. And one thing is just being really mindful being really present as to what's going on. When we're in the red zone, we tend to uh, engage in what in psychology we call regret orientation. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Replaying over and over again negative events in our, you know, that happened. Maybe they happened or things that wish we had said. We're either stuck in the past Or a lot of times we're what we call fortune telling in a negative way. We're predicting the future negatively. What if I don't get the funding? What if I can't pay my bills? And that type of thinking puts us in the red zone and keeps us in the red zone. But when we can be really present in the green zone and we can really enjoy that, it's like a, it's like, it's like, it's like having a gift that you haven't unwrapped if you aren't being present. And and I'll share if I may just a personal story from, from my own life. Um, My husband, the love of my life. We have been together for over half of my life. Actually met at a gym. Um, seven years ago, was diagnosed with ALS. So a uh, prognosis of three to five years. Five years ago, he was very ill in the hospital for 80 days and he uh, was vented, which means he has a hole in his neck. He's on, a, um, he's on a ventilator and he's on a feeding tube and he's completely paralyzed. He can move no part of his body except his eyes. And his hands are contracted, which means they are literally stuck in this position. So in order to hold hands, this, I put my finger right in his contracted fingers. This is how we hold hands. To say that it's stressful would certainly be an understatement. But when we're mindful and we're really present with each other, we can enjoy each other a lot more. So the other day, my daughters, we have a 15 and 17 year old daughters. They somehow had gotten a hold of my husband, Jeff's yearbook, and they were looking through the yearbook. Um, and making fun of the fashion from the archaic times, as they like to say. And they were reading the inscriptions. And one of the inscriptions was, Dear Jeff, it was great to meet you this year. I hope to get to know you better. Heart, Laura. And the girls were like, Laura? Who's Laura, Dad? Now, again, my husband can't speak, but he has something called an eye gaze board, which is 
basically an iPad, but instead of using your finger, you use your eyes and he can spell things out and hit a microphone and speak. So when the girl said, dad, who's Laura? You could see his eyes madly darting, madly darting, trying to to respond to this. And he hit the microphone and out came, I was a stud, (laughs) which he was a stud, you know, and of course it made us laugh. And so it's, it's those little things in life. It's being really present to those little things in life that help us stay in the green zone and enjoy that green zone even more. Cool. So uh, you obviously just recently wrote this book. What made you um, kind of step out and realize you've been practicing for a number of years to, to realize that this was something that needed to be communicated? And um, I, I, you've realized it, I'm assuming, in your own practice, in your own life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why did this stand out versus kind of everything else that... Um, yeah, what this kind of has a, a purpose, I think your purpose, one of your purposes, at least is to kind of communicate this, right? So, right. yeah, and you've just done a great job, I think, of explaining some of it, but did it, um, was it just obvious to you that this is what was, you know, the world needs to hear this, basically, and there is a physical aspect to this that isn't just, you know, it isn't like you talked about the exercise, the breathing, the, you know, there's a laughter, there's all these different components of it, basically, right? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And, and really the key getting out and staying on the red zone is to actually rewire our brains. Because a lot of people, if you think of every thought or just nerves firing in your brain in a certain way, um, we have a saying in psychology, nerves that fire together, wire together. Once you have a thought, you're more likely to have it over and over and over and over again. And what I was seeing in my private practice and in coaching was a lot of my clients had these red zone thoughts over and over and over again, and it became their norm. Yeah. And I really, I wanted to create a system that was, it, it, you know, it's not rocket science, right? But it's rocket fuel because these very simple things, when you identify being in the red zone, you can then help your relationships, you can address it to help your health because we know that stress causes or exacerbates 90% of all illness. Um, We can help our businesses. And I work with entrepreneurs, but I also do a lot of training in corporations on this exact topic. So realizing that, again, we don't have to get a PhD to learn this, but there there are simple concepts that we can apply in our everyday lives that are really going to transform our lives. And I also wanted to, to bring it in because it really it kind of depathologizes mental health, right? I think mental health, it's, I'm not glad that there are a lot of celebrities coming out saying that they are struggling with mental health because I feel badly for them. Having said that, this more normalization that people struggle with mental health issues, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just, it's, it's part of many people's experience. And so having a term of red zone, I'm feeling in the red zone right now, as opposed to I have clinical depression can really depathologize it so that we can all just say, you know what, I'm feeling a little red zone right now. I'm going to, I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to take, you know, mental health day. I'm going to go for a walk. And so that to really give people this language that feels comfortable, whether you're in the office setting, whether you're talking to colleagues or your family. And and my goal is that this becomes normal speak, right? That this becomes a normal conversation. I was um, working with a a company and um, doing some coaching with the the executive team after I'd given a keynote about the red zone the next week. And I was talking to the CFO and she said, after learning about this concept of the red zone, she asks people before she goes into a meeting with them, where are you on that scale? 
And she said, I, I was meeting with my financial analyst. He was at a nine out of 10. And I knew his, his brain wasn't going to be optimal for this meeting. So she postponed the meeting. She got, she got this guy, a Grubhub gift certificate, you know, gets, go get some yeah. food. And the next day they met and they had a great meeting. So first of all, look at how that really positively impacted the productivity of the company. But second of all, when a leader can do that for someone on their team, what is that saying to their team? I care about you. You mean something to me. And that's going to increase engagement. It's going to increase loyalty, decrease turnover, and that's going to have a positive impact on any business. That's really neat. Well, I think uh, we've got a, uh, a book for everyone to go out and uh, given us all enough information to, um, I think, inspire us to go out and let's read this book and learn more about it, basically, because it is, uh, we're all at times frustrated and probably at risk of, you know, some of this negative thinking or whatever stressful uh, thoughts and just to be uh, to be able to be aware of it and to be able to steer out basically, and, or to just, you know, be more mindful of being in the green zone, know that you're there. And that in and of itself can kind of help you, uh, I would imagine, you know, reduce your time or minimize your time in the, the red zone. So that sounds great. And really, um, I, I think there's a, a good purpose there to really help, you know, you've shared your, you know, your own kind of testimony and your, how your, how your family has, um, responded uh, and how you personally respond with some of these things and how you've impacted um, a lot of others and hopefully many more into the future. Where do you see yourself, uh, your practice, your, your career going in the, you know, in the next several, five, 10 years, what uh, any goals, aspirations, trajectories that you, you see yourself continuing on? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so doing a lot more speaking, keynote speaking, hopefully traveling some more. Um, during the pandemic, I opened a, another business because don't entrepreneurs just love opening new businesses? Um, it's called Elevive, which stands for Elevate Your Mindset, Thrive in Life. And it's really geared towards, it used to be just my sports psychology, but it's geared towards teens and parents of teens. Um, the average, this is pre-pandemic, the average level of a teen pre-pandemic was equivalent to the average level of a teen in the 1950s who was institutionalized. Our teens are struggling, our parents are struggling trying to help them. And so really offering mind skills training for teens and parents has been a really big, um, big passion project for me as a mom with, with two teens myself. That makes sense. So is there anything that I haven't asked today that you wished I would have? Um, no, I don't think so. It's been a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Yeah. So, uh, just to take a minute to, um, clarify for audience, how they can find, uh, more about you and, uh, you know, this book, your website, your practices, any of that type of, um, information. Yeah. Then go to elizabethlombardo.com elizabethlombardo.com, or they can find me on social media. You know, each, each day we're really trying to put out um, helpful hints of how we can get out of the red zone and stay out of the red zone. Cool. Well, Elizabeth, it's been nice to have you on the uh, podcast today. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. You bet. I'm Brian Sumlin, and this is the Fit for Success podcast.